Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Yeah, sleepy. Come on. It's not Easter, but it's Sunday. The Lord is still alive, right? Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. That's much better. We're continuing our study in 2 Samuel, and we are to chapter 8, where we are going to consider when David, King David, conquers the territories around him. Um, and it could be said that David is living in an already but not yet state. And that is a theological term or that is a way that theologians like to talk about the way, the stage of, of God's plan that we are in now. We're in already but not yet state. David had already been given a tremendous measure of rest in Jerusalem, if you go back to remember in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, this is what we read. It says, now when the king lived in his house, King David, living in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Remember that? He had been given rest. He's sitting in his palace, and that's when he's like, this is not right. God is living in a tent, and I'm living in this palace. But today, we remember that he had been given rest from his surrounding enemies. But then God began to make promises to him known as the Davidic covenant, which are profoundly impactful in all of your scriptures. God promised to give David, as he was in rest, to give him a greater rest. In verse 10, he says, I will appoint a place for my people, God says, for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. And so there is a greater rest that has been promised to David. So David is already experiencing rest that God had given him from his surrounding enemies. And in that place of rest, God then comes to him and says, but there is a a greater rest that I have in store for you, a rest from all your enemies, a rest from all conflict, a rest from all battles, a rest from all struggles. I wonder if that's what you're wanting deeply right now today. I want the rest of the Lord. Are you, are you in a, a real battle with, with temptation that you're just like, oh, if I could just get victory over this sin? Or are you battling and waging war with, with a sickness in your body? Or maybe it's a family member, or maybe it's someone who is completely on the other side of, of, the, of Christ and, and is antagonistic to you. Battling sin, battling sinners, battling unbelief, battling sickness. This life, even for believers, is still filled with many battles, much warring. And I think a lot of times we get battle weary. And we long for that rest that we know that Jesus has promised. My prayer is today that the Lord will use this text to 
to strengthen you and to say, I promise, I promise that rest is coming. Lord, would you give us encouragement this morning? Would you strengthen the battle-weary? Would you give those who have not found initial rest in Christ the wisdom, the faith, to submit to Christ today and find soul rest in him. Lord, give us confidence that one day you will come again and you will establish your perfect, eternal, Sabbath rest that you have promised us. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's work through chapter 8. Chapter 8 is one of those texts that I come to when I'm preaching through the Bible and I go, oh, this is going to be interesting. David beat this guy and then David beat that guy and then David beat that guy and I picture myself preaching it and I picture looking up at you and you're like, thanks pastor, that was a blessing. I'm heading home to lunch now. But I I wish you could understand that the whole story of the Bible is embedded in these texts. It's not something we just say. It really is the way God's Word is divine. So let's work through chapter 8 and see what the author tells us. And I want to help you try to find yourself in the story of experiencing a level of rest in the Lord, but looking forward to the ultimate rest that the Lord Jesus promises coming. Look at verse 8. Chapter 1, bear with me today, don't go to sleep. I know it's after Easter, we're all tired, and it's a challenging text, but let's do this together. Verse 1, chapter 8, after this, after what? After the Davidic covenant, after the promise of a greater future rest, after that promise where God said, I'm going to give you greater rest from your, all your enemies, David did what? David defeated the Philistines, and he subdued them. And David took Methagamah out of the hands of the Philistines. Pause there. So David gets an incredible victory. God gives David rest from battling the Philistines. That's the ultimate enemy of enemies. That is the big, bad, ultimate enemy of God's people this point in the story. So he, that's no small statement. David, God says, I'm going to give you greater rest. Next thing the author records, David defeats the Philistines. He enjoys rest from them. Verse 2, and he defeated Moab. And then he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured for wrath, and one full line he spared. The Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. So another God gives David greater rest over his enemies in Moab. He's enjoying victorious rest just as God promised. Verse 3, David also defeated Hadadzer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, and he went to restore his power all the way up to the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help up Hadadzer, help him out, the king of Zobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. And then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus. 
And the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. So David battles and God gives victory. David battles and God gives victory. David battles and God gives victory. God is keeping his promise to David. Though David was enjoying a measure of rest, God said, there's a greater rest coming. And the very next text records, who knows how long these these acts took place, But the author says, I want you to see something. God promised to give him a greater rest. God gave him a greater rest. God is faithful to keep his promises. So if you're in that place where you're like, I need rest, Lord. What the Lord is saying to you through these seemingly archaic, ancient texts is, I promised you rest. I will give you rest. In verse 6, the second part gives you the, the, the secret, the key. The Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. That's been the theme, remember, as we've looked at these texts, that the Lord is, can you say, David, I was with you in the desert. I was with you when you were a nobody and nobody knew you. They weren't considering you for king, but I was with you then. I brought you to this point where I wanted you. I, held, I led you to slay that giant. I anointed you king. I brought you to the palace. I gave you this throne. I've been with you every step of the way. I don't need you to build me a temple where I have to stay planted in that building. I've never asked for a temple. Why? Because I want to be with you. I want to be with my people whenever they're suffering. I've traveled with them from Egypt. I was with them. I saw them. I told you they were going to be enslaved in Egypt. And I was with them as they suffered through the desert. I've brought them to the edge of the promised land. I have been with you because I love you. And I'm giving you rest. You're resting in this palace. You're resting from your enemies, David. I gave you that rest. I love you. I want you to enjoy rest. But guess what? I've got a greater rest. There's going to be more battles that come. You're in my place where I have you. And I've given you rest. But there will be more battles. But I want you to know there will be an even greater rest. So if you're here today and you're connecting with that, the Lord's saying to you, I'm with you. I hadn't forgotten you. I care about you. I know you're battling. I know you're battle-weary. I give you rest now, and I've got a greater rest for you in the future. The Lord gives victory to his people wherever they go. So God was faithful to his promise to give David rest. That's how your Bible is written. There's a text here. God promised there's a text here. Look what God did. That's not necessarily in perfect chronological order. It's a a laying of text to say, look what God promised and look what God did. So God was faithful to his promise to give David rest from his enemies. But also I want you to notice something. God's rest was won through battles. It's like, that's not the kind of rest I want. I want a Sunday afternoon rest. I want a nap rest. I want a rest where all the kids know, leave Pastor Tracy alone, says Mama on Sundays, graciously. I want a rest that is an absence of battles. But here we see it is a, at this stage of David's life, at this stage of God's redemptive history, at this stage of the story, rest 
comes in and through the battles. It's not a rest that is absent of battles. It's not a rest that is absent of conflict. It's a rest that is enjoyed because of God's presence in the midst of the battles. That God is giving the rest and the victory in each thing that you experience in life. God's rest was won through the battles. God gave David victory wherever he went. And that's important for us to remember. Sometimes we think that when we trust Jesus, I'm supposed to enjoy rest. I'm supposed to be saved. I'm supposed to have a good life and I'm not supposed to struggle. I'm not supposed to battle with anything anymore. And that's not biblical. That's unfortunately sometimes preached and proclaimed by people that if you just believe or if you get the formula right, it's gonna, you're going to get everything you ever wanted and it's going to be great and you're going to have your best life now. And that's not biblical. The best life is when Christ returns or you're with Christ. So let's continue looking at verse 7. Hopefully you see how this can speak to your life today. Continuing in verse 7. And David, look what he does. He took the shields of gold and were carried by the servants of Hadadzer and brought them to Jerusalem. So he's taken these gold shields from his enemies and brings them to Jerusalem to the house of the Lord. And from Beda and from Berathai, cities of Hadadzer, King David took very much bronze. When Toy, a different king, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadadzer, Toy got smart. Toy says, I'm not going to fight. I'm going to submit. So Toy sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his health. Hey, King, hope you're doing well. How's the health? That's what I hear that conversation going like. You know, I've always liked you, and I just wanted to make sure you're doing okay. He's like, ask about his health and to bless him. Because David had, because Toy had fought against Hadadzer. David had fought against Hadadzer and defeated him, for Hadadzer had often been at war with Toy. Toy's like, man, I've been battling this guy forever. David just walked up and whooped him. I'm going to align myself with David. It's a smart man. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. And these also King David dedicated to the Lord, together with the silver and gold that was dedicated from all the nations that he subdued, from Edom, Moab, Ammonites, Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadzer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord, again, repeated, And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel. And listen to these words. David administered justice and equity to his people. So I hope when you read these verses, you see a, a picture developing. That, that there's this idea that you see there's this 
historical, literal fulfillment of David conquering these enemies. And if you were to map it out, which Rebecca wanted me to put a map up, didn't have time to make Rebecca, sorry. But he, he basically is, is recapturing and establishing God's authority, his king, David's kingdom authority over the promised land. It's not ultimate and perfect, but you see that real historical events happen. But then the way the, the author talks about it, the, the narrator that places it in your Bible, presents it in a way that it becomes not just that, it becomes a bigger story. Like there's a, there's a picture that's emerging from these real historical events that the author wants you to see. God did something in David that's going to carry on well beyond David. Are y'all tracking with me on that? That's how your Bible works. That The author is saying, do you see what happened? But I want you to see this is not the ultimate fulfillment. This was a partial fulfillment. And God's promises to David to do to defeat all of his enemies becomes this bigger eschatological end times picture. And that's what the Bible does. The authors, when you read this, you, if you read your Bible over and over, you, these, these start ringing bells in your head. These enemies that are mentioned are, are mentioned like these are the enemies of God. This is a picture of the final days when, when God's ultimate chosen king will come back and defeat all his enemies and establish his kingdom on all of his lands. And he'll establish his kingdom on a new heavens and a new earth. And the people will finally enjoy rest. That's, that's what's going on here. In Numbers chapter 24, these words are prophetic words from the interesting uh, prophet Balaam. Balaam is just a, a really interesting story. But Balaam makes a prophecy. Balak tells Balaam, curse Israel. They're coming in, they're, they're this nation of people, and he's threatened by them. And Balak is like, cursed, he gets this guy, and he says, you're a prophet, curse Israel for me. And he goes to curse Israel, and God's like, oh, uh-uh, you ain't cursing my people. I don't think God said ain't, but that's my version of it. God's like, you're not going to curse my people. You're going to bless my people. That's what God's doing all throughout the story of the Bible, is that he keeps blessing the people. He's restoring the blessing, and God says, I want you to prophesy this. And so listen to the words of the prophecy of the ultimate blessings of Israel, of God's people, in Numbers 24, 17 through 24. And hear the words of 2 Samuel 8. The prophet says, I see him now, but not now. This is in Numbers, Moses' day. Way before David's day, right? I see him now, but not now. I behold him, but not near. Way in the future, a star shall come out of Jacob. And you know Jacob's name is Israel, right? A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter. Who, who, what is it? Who, who owns a scepter? King. And you're like, this is in numbers. This is Moses. This is not kings, right? This is not where we're reading. A king will rise out of Israel. And it shall crush the forehead of Moab. Man, I'm going Genesis 3. The serpent tempted Adam and Eve to fall. And God immediately comes to the serpent and says, The seed of the woman will crush your head. Now, now this prophet is saying, A king will rise out of Israel and shall crush the forehead, forehead of Moab. Now Moab becomes this picture of the the, of Satan and the enemies of God, and will break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly when I look 
into the future. And one from Jacob, from Israel, shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. Then he looked on Amalek, just mentioned, and took up his discourses and said, Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. And he looked on the Kenite. And he took up his discourse and said, Enduring is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned when Asher takes you away captive. And he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships from Katim and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he too shall come to utter destruction. I hope I didn't lose you in all this, but these are prophetic utterances way before these events that create this idea of the future of God's destruction of the enemies of Israel. And they start attaching meaning to these people like Moab. And then we get to this text and it says where King David was promised, you're going to have a great arrest. And King David defeats the Moabites, the Ammonites, and starts naming all of these. And you go, okay, there's a bigger picture being presented here. We also recall prophecies like Zechariah 14, which declare in 14.14, the wealth of the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, garments, in great abundance. So some will be subduing the wealth of the nations for God by force, and some, like Toy in Zechariah 8.20, thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many seasons, cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. Some will be like toy, the prophets say, and will wise up and say, let's voluntarily submit to this one, to this king. But in the end, all will be subdued. Some by force because they resist the king, some in wisdom and faith will submit to his authority. And here we see David goes and defeats some by force, and Toy comes and says, hey, I submit. It's a picture of God's final and future kingdom. It's a picture of God saying, I will rise up a king greater than David, and I will defeat my enemies. Remember the Easter message? Peter says he was resurrected. He ascended and he said, why are you standing around? He will come back and make his enemies his footstool. That's where we are today as we await the return of Christ to destroy his enemies. But it doesn't have to come to you by force. You can be like the king toy and say, let me get wise and not be a fool, let me submit to his reign and rule now. The Lord Jesus Christ is the long-awaited son of David. In Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, looking beyond David's life, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, this is our verse for the month, by the way. The, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteous. Same kind of kingdom that we just had described about David 
David's kingdom was a just and equity one. Here we see there will be a branch of David who will come in the future and he will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely with rest. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. This is Jesus. When you read your Bibles, it's so clear the whole Bible has been longing for the arrival of Jesus, the greater king who will give a greater kingdom, who though he gives a measure of rest now, will give an ultimate rest when he comes back and establishes his kingdom. Are you battle weary? Are you tired of feeling like there's enemies on every boundary of your territory. Battles are tiring. Are you fighting for your holiness? Are you fighting for your health? Are you fighting for your family? Are you fighting for your children? Are you fighting for this city? Are you tired of fighting? The Lord is saying, be strengthened. I promise. I hadn't forgotten you. I promise I'm coming back. I'm going to give you ultimate victory. But to understand how we find rest in Jesus who says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so many are here going, I'm trying, Lord. I'm battling to come to you, and I'm not finding the rest. we got to understand the rest comes in two stages. Jesus came the first time, the stages of rest come with the presence of, his, of Jesus himself. The first time he came, he came to conquer the forehead of Moab, to crush the head of the serpent, to give victory over Satan. Listen to Hebrews 2.14. The writer of Hebrews says, this is your New Testament, using the same language. Since therefore the children, us, since we share in flesh and blood, he... Likewise, partook of the same. He took on flesh and blood. God took on flesh and blood because you are flesh and blood. So that through his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. That's what he did the first time he came. It wasn't as a conquering king, it was as a conquering servant who died on the cross to destroy the power of the devil. You already in Christ, if you are one of his, if you have submitted to Christ as king and you are living for his glory and he has taken your punishment on himself, he has defeated the power of Satan over your life. You are no longer enslaved to Satan and to sin. It's like the snake is still alive, but the venom has been taken out. So they're still wrestling, they're still battling, but he can't touch you. And you got to know that victory is already yours. You already have rest from the death that comes from sin. You already have rest from the power that Satan has over us. That's the first stage. You have a measure of rest from laboring, rest from trying to be good enough, rest from trying to please God enough. 
All of that has been conquered in Jesus. Jesus is your righteousness. When we stand before the Father, he says, why would I let you, a sinner, a rebel into heaven? I'm going to say one thing, one phrase. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. You said you'd give me credit for Jesus. You said you poured my punishment that I deserved out to Jesus. You said that his righteousness you're giving me credit for. He's my only hope. I rest from trying to be good enough. I rest from trying to earn enough. I rest from trying to be religious enough. I found rest in Jesus. That's a rest to be enjoyed now. But it doesn't mean you don't have battles. You still battle to be okay. You still battle to be healthy. You still battle to be fight temptation. There's still battles. And that's what the second coming is about. And the first coming guarantees the second coming. <clears throat> first coming and resurrection guarantees the second coming. We will continue to struggle with temptation and suffering and sickness and persecution and more. But be of good cheer. Jesus is coming back to give that final perfect rest. He'll come again. He'll do away with Satan. He'll do away with the followers of Satan. He'll do away with all sin and the effects of sin. In Revelation 12, 9, it speaks of this. It says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. How? By the blood of the Lamb, Jesus and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So there will come a day when Christ returns. That's when he comes, as the Jews expected, as a mighty, powerful, conquering king. And he'll destroy his enemies. And he's not one to be trifled with. And so today, the writer of Hebrews says to you, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach that rest. For good news about Jesus came to us just as to them, but the message they heard It did not benefit them. Why? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They didn't believe the good news of Jesus. And so they failed to enter the rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath, they who do not believe shall not enter my rest. So my appeal to you today, God's appeal to you today, is this. Enter his rest Choose to be like Toy the king who said, Hey, I'm not stupid. I'm going to submit. 
I see his power. I see his glory. I hear the good news. I want his rest. Enter his rest by faith in Jesus. Now, I want to be honest. It doesn't mean life is going to be easy. It's going to be filled with battles, but it does mean you have a measure of his rest now, soul rest, so you can say, it is well with my soul. And you have an anchor that holds you until he returns, or you go to be with him if you pass before them. Father, give all of us a faith to trust in Jesus this morning. Jesus who says, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, all of you who are tired, come to me and I will give you rest. Lord, give us all a soul rest this morning. And may we find encouragement in this text to remember again, this life is hard. There will be many battles, but you will sustain us to the end. And you will finally, in the end, Give us ultimate rest, victory over death, over sin, over sickness, over sorrow. And we will enjoy your rest in your presence to your glory forevermore. By faith in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.